are listening to the Thornapple Valley Church Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Our hope is for you to be encouraged and to connect with God during this message. If you'd like to know more about Thornapple Valley Church, visit tvcweb.com. Now, I just want to say this to get started. I see some of you not clapping right now, but I just want to say if you were up here, I'd be clapping for you. So I just want to put that out there. <laughs> hey, let me just begin by saying um, happy Easter. Welcome to Easter here at TVC. Now, if you haven't been to TVC in a few weeks, whether you're here in the room or you're watching me online, you might be thinking to yourself right now, did Jeff Arnett get a little bit darker, a little bit younger, and a little bit better looking since the last time that I came to TVC? <laughs> And we all know the answer to that question. It's an emphatic no. So I'm not Jeff Arnett, but my name is Keith Brown. I'm new lead pastor here at TVC. <laughs> but hey, before I go any further, can we take a moment and really show some honor to Jeff and Ann Arnett, the founding pastors of TVC? You know, it's because of their service, their hard work, their dedication that TVC is what it is today. Now, with that being said, I shared a little bit about myself, my name. Let me show you a picture of my family. This is my family. Yeah, you can clap if you want to. So that's my wife, Jennifer, and then that's my daughter, Alana. She is 14. My son, Benjamin, he's 13. My son, Christian, he is nine. And then my daughter, Delaney, she's seven. Now, my wife, she grew up about an hour south of here at a city called Three Rivers. But for me, southeast Louisiana was where I was born and raised. On the playground is where I spend most of my days. <laughs> Chilling out, maxing, relaxing, all cool, shooting some b-ball outside of school. When a couple of guys who were up to no good started making trouble in my neighborhood, I got in one little fight and my mom got scared. <laughs> Just wait for it, wait for it, wait for it. <laughs> got to milk it, wait for it. Says you moved with your auntie and your uncle in Three Rivers. So that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. But I really am from Southeast Louisiana, and actually my parents are here at church today. Can you get it up for my mom and dad right here? My dad has some alligator boots on. He wrestled that alligator, skinned them, and put on them boots himself. So that's my dad. Love him. But right after the first part of Bible college, I moved to Michigan, which is where I met my wife. We had our first two kids, and that's been a little bit about my story. But this Easter, I don't just want to talk about my story. I want to talk to you about your story and how it relates to the Easter story. Because we all have different stories. And see if you can relate to this. I can remember when I was a kid, what Easter meant to me was candy and getting dressed up. Jesus and the resurrection was fine, but I just remember Easter egg hunts, and I could never forget going through the Easter egg, and there were some people who were generous who put like a $5 bill in an Easter egg. That's what Easter meant to me at that time. Then when I became a teenager, what Easter meant to me was spring break. It meant that the school year was almost over with, and the reason that Good Friday was good is because we had it off. That's what Easter meant to me as a teenager. But then when I got serious about Jesus and, and, and I felt the sense of calling 
on my life to be a pastor. I became a professional pastor. And here's what the very first Easter as a professional pastor meant to me, stress and pressure. See, you get dressed up and you come to Easter and it's fun, but I, I can just remember the stress of, of, of people coming to church who want to be at church, people are coming to church who got dragged to church, and I just have the pressure to not do a terrible job. But here's why I tell you that. Because what I know is Easter means something different to every single person in this room. For some of you, you're really excited, and, and, and Easter's all about the resurrection, and, and, the, and the songs and the fire was fine, but, but when we start singing that song, Agnus Dei, in Latin it means the Lamb of God, you had tears coming down your, your face because you think about Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross and how he's forgiving you for your sins. But then there's others of us, and we looked around the room, and we thought to ourselves, what are they doing? How can they be worshiping a God who allows so much pain and suffering? See, for you, what Easter does not mean is joy and celebration. What it means is sadness and pain. And maybe the reason it means that to you is because last Easter was a hard Easter. And the Easter before that was a hard Easter. And, and as you sit here, you want to be excited, you want to feel hopeful, but honestly, you're just waiting for this to be over with because you don't know if you have hope, you don't know if you have faith. Here's what I want to say to you. If you're feeling some pain, some disappointment, some grief, you actually have something in common with the very first person to experience Easter. In John chapter 20, here's what we read. I'm going to start in verse 11. In John chapter 20, verse 11, it says, Mary stood outside the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. So first, let me set up the context. This is Mary Magdalene. This is not Mary, the mother of Jesus. I call her Eminem for short. So before there was an eight mile, there was Mary Magdalene, Eminem for short. That was a lot funnier last service, but I'm just telling you it was good. <laughs> it worked. People loved it. Anyway, uh, the point of the matter is, is, so she's there, and she goes to visit Jesus, who meant a lot more to her than a he meant to a lot of people. Because for some people, they saw Jesus through the eyes of a skeptic. The rabbis and the religious leaders, when they saw Jesus, they weren't sure about him. They just knew that he had a following and he had the power of God. To the disciples, they looked at him as their cash cow. If they followed Jesus, maybe they could become like him. And so when he is no longer good to them, they leave. But for Mary, she hangs around. She was there at the cross as they saw them put the nails in his hands. She, she was there at the cross when they pierced him in the side. And she was there at the cross when he breathed his last breath. And he said in English three words, in Greek one word, to tell us that it is finished. And he hung his head. Mary was there. And the reason Mary was there is because Jesus meant the world to her because he brought healing and freedom to her world. See, in Luke chapter 8, we read about Mary's story, is Mary, the Bible says Jesus cast seven demons out of her. Now, some take that to mean that she was a prostitute, but Scripture never says she was a prostitute. More than likely, what that means is that she was very sick, because if you read that passage, it said he healed many people who were sick, and he cast seven demons out of her. 
So imagine me and Mary, this healthy 33-year-old who you've seen preach to the masses, heal the sick, raise the dead, the, the one who said, Lazarus, come forth, and Lazarus, rise up, and he walks out of the grave. Now he's in the grave. If Mary was super sick, she probably imagined that Jesus would be doing her funeral, and now she's there at his tomb. And she shows up to grieve, to give her condolences. She's there alone, and she's weeping, and when she shows up, she gets a surprise. He's not there. He's not there. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. For Mary Magdalene, here's what Easter meant to her for the very first Easter. It meant sadness and disappointment. Where, where is he? See, there, there, there was a hope uh, along the way that he would be saved, right? As he goes through the six trials, three by the Jews and three by the Romans, there's a hope that somehow he's going to come out of this. You can do it, Jesus, break free, and he doesn't. There, there was a hope when they take him to the whipping post, and they, and they whip him with those stripes on his back that somehow he's going to do it again. He's going to come out of it, but he doesn't. And then when finally she dies, she points with the reality of him being the Messiah, and she accepts that he's the one who dies, and she goes into the tomb to weep. But he's not there. And there's these two angels who are sitting there, which, by the way, is something. Because most time when you read Scripture and you read about angelic presence, they're so big and they're so powerful that most people are afraid. So angels oftentimes say to people, do not be afraid because they're an angel. She is so stricken by grief that she doesn't respond in fear. She's in grief. Now, then something amazing is going to happen in verse 14. Says that this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but did not realize that it was Jesus. And he asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Can, can you feel her tension and her frustration? See, the people who did this to him, not only did they destroy his reputation, but now they're trying to desecrate his memory by stealing his body. Listen, I'm done with this. Just take me to where they put him. And I love what Jesus does. In verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary, Mary, Mary. And then it says this, she turned to him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. See, I, I love this story because of the power of it. Mary's in a place where she's weeping because she's lost Jesus. And then Jesus shows up. The reason that I know he showed up is because she's been walking around this tomb looking for Jesus, and there's just this empty tomb, and there's angels, and she's like, I'm not looking for you. I'm looking for Jesus. And then I imagine as she's weeping like this, Jesus taps her on the shoulder. And she turns around. Now look at this. The one she's looking for is right behind her, but she doesn't recognize that it's him. And then he's going to ask her the same question that the two angels ask her, Here's the question, why are you weeping? I, I love to ask you the same question this morning, why are you weeping? Now, you say, I'm not weeping today. I'm, I'm talking about beyond the mascara. I, I'm talking about beyond the get over it. I, why are you weeping? Why are you sad? Why are you in a place of grief? Because here's what I've learned in my life is that grief is always connected to loss. 
And for some of you right now, the reason that you're weeping, for some of you watching me online, the reason you're weeping right now is because you've lost a job. Some of you've lost an opportunity. Some of you've lost a friend to politics over the last couple years, and so you're weeping. And here's the problem with loss, especially if we've lost something that's valuable to us and we feel like we cannot get it back. The only thing we can do is grieve. And we feel like we're less than what we should be and we could be, and so we grieve and we weep and we're in a place of sadness. And some of you came to church today and that's right where you are. Because Jesus, he means a lot more to you than the person who already got it all together. See, there are some people who come to church and they got it all together, you know what I mean? They got a good heart, they got a good house, a good car, and they got it all together. So they, they add Jesus on to their life. But then there's people like me who when I came to Jesus, I needed Jesus because I was a hot mess. I want you to turn to your neighbor and just say this, I'm a hot mess too, I'm a hot mess too. <laughs> See, and you thought you were the only one. Welcome to TVC, we're, we're on the Hot Mess Express, but we're getting better. We're getting better, that's what Jesus does. And, and here's what I love. Jesus shows up, and she doesn't recognize that it's him, which leads him to ask this question. The second question is, who are you looking for? Who are you looking for? And here's what I want to tell you. The answer to the second question is really the answer to the first question. The reason that you're weeping is because you're looking for the wrong person in the wrong way. See, the answer to the second question is really the answer to the first question. The reason that she's weeping is because she's looking for Jesus, but Jesus is right there with her in the tomb. The problem is he doesn't look the way that he looked on Friday. Here's how he looked on Friday. Bring up my picture of Jesus on the cross. So, whoever this is who's talking to me can't be Jesus, but on Sunday morning he looks like this. He's got life. He's not dead. He's got hope. He's got strength. He's got the ability to change her situation. And then when he calls her name, he says, Mary, she gets it. Now, we've all seen this sort of happen. You know, imagine with me that there's um, somebody in the military that's deployed, and, 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 and they somehow get a chance to come home, and, and they're at their daughter's graduation or at their daughter's wedding, and, and, and it's this huge surprise, and the daughter's doing whatever, and then, and then the dad or, or the mom, you know, hits the person on the shoulder and says, can I have this dance? And then all of a sudden, they turn around, and they are shocked, because you're not supposed to be here. That's what Jesus does. And, and, and let me just say this about this question, who are you looking for? I think the reason some of us today are feeling sad and depressed is because we're looking for and we're looking to the wrong people to solve our problem. See, there's some people who look to the government to solve their problem, and that's causing you to be weeping right now because the government can't solve your problem. So, some of you are, are, are looking to some social media influencer or, or some great thinker, but the person that you need is Jesus, and he's right there with you. Here's what I love about Jesus. Right in the middle of the tomb, he's right there with her and her weeping. And, and what I feel like God wanted me to say today to somebody is he's right there with you. In the middle of that messy divorce, in the middle of that stressful custody battle, in the middle of that depression and that darkness and that loneliness and that, and that fear and that struggle, in the middle of your secret sin, Jesus is right there and he says, if you will turn 
to me, you will hear me calling your name. And, and I think that Jesus is calling your name. I, I think he's saying, Mary, Mark, Keisha, Kelly, Candace, I'm here with you. And I want to change your situation. And what's going to happen for Barry is she's going to get it. And when she gets it, she realizes that she was weeping about the wrong thing. What she should have been rejoicing about, she's weeping about. The fact that he's not in the grave is something she should have been rejoicing about, but she's weeping because she didn't understand that he meant what he said. In 2019, I actually went to the empty tomb. I went to the land of Israel. And me and Mary had very different reactions. I walked into that tomb, and when I walked into the tomb, there was nobody there, but I didn't expect the body to be there, and so it was a time for worship for me because the tomb was empty. Here's a few pictures from my trip in 2019. And then bring up the next one. That's the empty tomb. The angels are sitting there. He's not there because he's risen from the grave. Now, Mary gets this. She gets excited. She starts rejoicing. And she is now going to tell the disciples, but the disciples have not heard about this news. And so I want you to see the split screen effect. Mary's rejoicing, and look at what the disciples are doing. I'm going to drop down to verse 19. It says, On the evening of the first morning when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed. And then again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And then Jesus is going to do the one thing that most of us in these times would not even be comfortable with Jesus doing. In verse 22, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. So the disciples are living locked down in fear. Now, I don't know if any of us can relate to this over the last couple of years, living locked down in fear of what might happen, what could happen, and we just don't know, scared. And while they're living in lockdown and fear, and by the way, their fear is founded because they're thinking to themselves, if the Jewish leaders did that to Jesus and we're followers of him, then what they did to him, we're next. But right there while they're, they're fearful and they're praying and they're trying to survive and, and they're making runs and, okay, you go out. Are you on the lookout, Peter? Here we go. And, and they're trying to find out how can they get through this. All of a sudden, Jesus shows up right in the middle of lockdown. And he says, peace be with you. Now, I have to tell you what Jesus didn't say is that your problems are going away. What he said is you can have peace right in the middle of those problems. Right in the middle of that heartache, right in the middle of that soul-crushing breakup, you can have peace because I am with you. What Jesus wants to say to somebody is peace. He wants to give you peace. And that's what Jesus is. Isaiah had a nickname for Jesus in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. He said, he shall be called mighty God, wonderful counselor, and he's also going to be called the prince of peace. But here's the other thing that Jesus is going to do for his disciples. He says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Not only do I want to give you peace, what I want to give you is a purpose. Now, I don't want you to miss this. If you're watching me online, you might want to write this down. The key to you having peace is you living with a purpose. I would go so far to say you cannot have peace without a purpose because here's the truth. <laughs> Life, there's no way to eliminate all the problems in life. 
Life is full of problems. And as soon as you get one situation set up, you get a good job, and then all of a sudden there comes inflation, and now your paycheck that was once worth $100 is only worth like $25, and so you got problems. There, there, there's just no way to eliminate problems. What, what Jesus wants to do is give you peace right in the middle of those problems. And some of us are waiting for our problems to go away, and we just need to meet Jesus in the middle of those problems and get his peace. Because I just want to say this, living for survival is no way to live. In 2020, a friend of mine got diagnosed with stage four cancer. And then in July of last year, 2021, he passed away, 49 years old. And I can remember thinking to myself, life goes by so fast. So instead of just living to make it, how about I live to make a difference, to, to, to do something more with my life? And for some of you, what God wants to do is give you a sense of purpose. And when you get that sense of purpose, it will give you peace in your life. You know, when I think about that, I, I imagine that when Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you, that they're reminded of something that he said nine months ago in a place called Caesarea Philippi. Jesus is going to look at Peter in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. He says this, For you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it or prevail. Jesus is saying this thing called the church, it's persecution-proof, it's pandemic-proof, it's even my death-proof. My death did not stop the church. It's actually my death is what birthed the church. And these disciples, they get it and they start to live with hope and peace. I guess what I'm trying to tell you is this first Easter that started out with sadness and disappointment by the end of it, it was the Easter that was filled with hope and a new beginning. The resurrection of Jesus says you can begin again, that there's no situation that's too impossible for God. Here's why I know that to be true is because it's still happening. A friend of mine by the name of Colin, this is a picture of Colin and his family today. Colin is our campus pastor at our Middleville campus. Yeah, we can give it up for Colin. A few years ago, he came to TVC. He was a mess. He was filled with addiction. He told me this week in his own words that he was so filled with addiction to alcohol that, listen to this, he would take caffeine pills just so he could stay awake so he could drink more. He walked into this place, not with his act cleaned up, but a mess. And he said, as I was listening, it felt like the pastor was speaking directly to me. And then there came a time to respond, and my hand shot up. And now today, he's less of a mess. Today, he's, he's making progress, and he's telling other people, you can have hope in a new beginning in Jesus. You know, when you guys came in, you should have received two cards. One that looks like this that says, your new beginning. I want you to find this card right now, if you don't mind. In a moment, we're going to sing some more. But during this next song, I want you to think about what is the new beginning God wants to give you today? For, for some people, it might be you're going to get a new beginning in the sense of you're going to say, hey, I'm going to have a better relationship with my wife. Talk to a guy in between the other services. He said, hey, me, me and my wife, we're going we're gonna to do better. Some of you might be to be a better businessman. For some of you, your new beginning might just be to start coming to church more often. But for some of you, your new beginning is to start a relationship with God. 
Because you thought that God had left you, but he's been with you the whole time, and he wants to give you peace, and he wants to bring you through that situation that you're in. If you want to start a relationship with God, this card right here says your next step. In a moment, I'm going to pray, and if you will give us just some simple information, your name, your phone number, your email, there are two things that would be really useful to you. One is a class called Explore God. It gives you the fundamentals of what it means to follow Jesus. The second one is baptism. On May 1st, we're going to have a baptism service, and around here it's going to be a celebration. Because in baptism, what we do is symbolically we bury our old life under the water so we can rise to a new life in Christ. You know, I think God's calling all of our names. The question is, will you respond? Let's pray. You know, if you're in here and you would say, today is my new beginning, I'm not going to make you raise your hand. I'm not going to call you forward, but I'd love for you to pray a simple prayer with me in your heart, quietly. I'd like you to pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I recognize that I'm a sinner in need of grace. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to come to live in my heart by your Holy Spirit. And I trust you and I choose to follow you. Give me a new beginning in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Thornapple Valley Church Podcast. If you found this message encouraging, we invite you to share it. For more information, visit tbcweb.com.